Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. From the prison cell to the general population, what the Department of Labor is doing for former inmates to re-enter the workforce. And today on the show, the latest from the Columbus Central Ohio Building Trades, and it's our first Friday with Fred, Fred Redman, Secretary Treasurer of the AFL-CIO. Welcome to the Friday, March 1st edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms, including... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have two guests on the show today, longtime supporters and contributors to America's Workforce. We're going to start things off with Dorsey Hager, who serves as Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of building going on in Central Ohio. In fact, we're going to talk about the Intel plant. Apparently, it might be delayed a little bit. But all the trades work in overtime there. We'll get an update on the expansion of the Columbus Airport. This is a sad story because uh, shortly after the Columbus Regional Airport Authority announced, this was last year, their plans to build a new terminal at the John Glenn Columbus International Airport, the Columbus building trades led by Dorsey said, okay, let's, let's work out a community benefit agreement, a CBA for construction. Let's try to get a project labor agreement. We're talking a $2 billion project here. Well, sadly, the contractor that they hired, Hensel Phelps, severed negotiations with Dorsey and their non-union. They contracted out. They're a member of the Associated Builders and Contractors, a notorious anti-union organization. And right now, we don't even have prevailing wage on the table. It's really sad. This is a race to the bottom. We'll get you an update on that. Also, some good news here. The Columbus Central Ohio Transit Authority, CODA, as it's known in Central Ohio, they have an agreement there. So we'll talk about transit there and uh, touch on high-speed rail. And also get an update on building futures. That's one of Dorsey's pet projects. ColumbusConstruction.org, again, the website. Later in the show, we're going to check in with uh, Fred Redman. And Fred, of course, Secretary-Treasurer of the AFL-CIO. Longtime steelworker. He retired from the steelworkers to uh, take the number two spot in the AFL CIO. And this being the first month of March, and March is a Women's History Month. And I think it's significant that we just exited Black History Month. Fred is African American, and Liz Schuler, the first woman to head the AFL CIO. Talk about an intersection here between February and March. And a little background on Fred. Fred joined the uh, Steelworkers Union. This would be local 3911 back in 1973 and hit the ground running on his way to becoming one of the organization's strongest leaders. In fact, his first leadership role was as a shop steward. He went on to serve three terms as president of the local before being appointed to the international staff. That was in uh, 1996. He was elected international vice president of human affairs in 2006 and then he became very active in the greater labor community, serving on the board of directors for Working America and the Trans-Africa Forum. 
He's also a rep and is on the board of the Coalition for Black Trade Unionists and a member of the AFL-CIO Executive Council. This all happened before he became the number two man in the AFL-CIO, and that all changed with the passing of Rich Trumpka. Rich passed away, Liz got the uh, presidency, and then Fred came in as secretary-treasurer. Great guy. He's going to talk about his journey and how the union helped him as a black man rise up the ranks. And this is, this is the story that needs to be told. We can't forget our past to know where we have to know where we came from to know where we are today, simply put. So Fred Redman will be our second guest right here on America's Workforce. And now a brief look into the world of labor. The segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. Hats off to the U.S. Department of Labor. They have announced the availability of $52 million in grant funding for organizations that provide re-entry services to incarcerated individuals before release from state correctional facilities or county or local jails. And that, mind you, is a very large population. By eliminating gaps between release from prison or jail and enrollment in a workforce development program, the funding will help enhance reintegration efforts and reduce recidivism, which is something we all want. This is all authorized by the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act. They call these Pathway Home Grants, allowing organizations to establish formal partnerships with employers to help participants acquire training and industry-recognized credentials to successfully transition into employment and their communities. These grants will be awarded for up to 20 projects that provide justice-involved individuals with legal assistance, counseling, job search strategies, and other foundational skills prior to release. The funding ranging from $1 million to $4 million to each recipient. It will also support apprenticeships, occupational training, and supportive services for all participants. So congratulations there to the Department of Labor. All right, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, Dorsey Hager on behalf of the Columbus Central Ohio Building Trades. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. 
Learn more at afge.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, Canada and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Let's go to line number one. Welcome one of our longtime regulars here on America's Workforce. We appreciate what he does for the trades in Central Ohio, that would be Dorsey Hager, Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, ColumbusConstruction.org. You could follow them on X at Build Central OH. And every time I talk to Dorsey, something else is popping up in Central Ohio. We'll get into that in a minute. But right now he wants to talk about CODA, the CODA agreement, which stands for the Central Ohio Transit Authority. Dorsey. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us. What's going on with CODA? It's all yours, brother. Thanks for having me on here. I appreciate the opportunity to speak uh, uh, here on this nice Friday as we head into the weekend. But, uh, yeah, I'm proud of my uh, union and bro- uh, brothers and sisters at uh, TWU Local 208. Uh, that's Transportation Workers Union Local 208. Jarvis Williams, their president, has done a tremendous job in his role uh, of leadership there. And this was a um, kind of a generational contract uh, for their union. I know in the past uh, they felt like that maybe uh, their voices hadn't been heard at the bargaining table. I went to a couple of the membership meetings when they were preparing to get ready to negotiate uh, this contract, and um, a lot of the members had a lot of valid points. I know Jarvis took them down, took them all to heart, took those points to the bargaining table uh, with his negotiation team, and I think he did an incredible job uh, for his members and for the uh, operators and the mechanics here in Central Ohio, and I think it's a major win, not just for the union, but I think it's a big win for CODA as well especially as they try to get, uh, you know, more infrastructure, more things done here in Columbus and Central Ohio that are so important to not only our economy, but also the growth. You know, I've talked on your show that when I meet with folks that are coming in from out of town that are looking to build a facility, whether it's in Columbus or Franklin, Ohio, uh, Franklin County or anywhere in Central Ohio, you know, after they talk about workers um, and diversity and inclusion, you know, do you have the workforce to build and maintain my project and do they accurately reflect the community in which I'm working in? They start talking about infrastructure and they want to make sure that people in some of these uh, neighborhoods around the city and around the county uh, that maybe um, 
are a little underserved, that they have an opportunity to get to these good jobs and, and these good careers. And not only is CODA providing a lot of good jobs and careers with their operators and with their mechanics, but also they're providing, you know, a great uh, public service to get folks from these neighborhoods to these jobs as well. And it's, you know, the public transit system in CODA is just essential to any workforce and economic development strategy. And I just think that uh, both sides uh, really showed uh, what you can do and what you can accomplish um, through collective bargaining. So my hat's off to them. TWU Local 208 and CODA got it got done, like I said, together at the bargaining table. And that's a great thing for not only our city or our county, but also the entire region. I'm so glad we're talking about transit because, you know, with income inequality that's so out of whack in this country, you got the people in the upper echelon, the, the more wealthy, who obviously drive their fancy cars. I get the impression all the time they really don't pay attention to the importance of transit uh, and having a good transit system. Because for the you know lower income people, they cannot afford any kind of car, let alone a good a, a good car, and that is their means of getting to and from work or where they have to go. And it's so important that uh, we improve that infrastructure. And I, I'm glad to hear that's going on. And the other part of this conversation, uh, Dorsey, is uh, what transit workers had to face during the pandemic. It, it was really ugly. You know, like over in New York City, which is <laughs> Total transit, okay? Over a hundred of our brothers and sisters passed away because of the craziness that was going. They didn't have the masks. They had people that were unruly as passengers. But it sounds like what's happening in central Ohio is moving in the right direction. Am I, am I getting that impression? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you talk about the city of Columbus growing and the region expanding. You know, there was a port, report that came out this week that Columbus and Austin, Texas, are the two fastest growing cities in the United States and Columbus is growing at unprecedented rates. And if workers can't get to the jobs, then not only does that hurt the working families, but it also hurts the neighborhoods and it hurts our economy. And like I was talking about with folks, you know, in some of these parts of the underserved community, it's, it's essential uh, to diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy that prioritizes sharing the benefits of economic growth with residents you know, have been a divide, uh, have been denied a pathway to that middle class uh, because of you know discrimination and and where they live at geographically. So basically, it comes down to we need a strong transit system for area workers and businesses. Like you said, not everybody can drive to work. Not everybody has the means. And if everyone did, our our roads, our streets, our highways uh, would be more congested, and that would be bad for the economy and bad for the quality of of life in our city, in our region. And, you know, this agreement is incredibly important also because a lot of the CDL holders and the skilled mechanics, you know, are in short supply here in Ohio. And this new contract provides CODA, their workers with, with, with good pay, good benefits, great working conditions to where hopefully they can grow the service and retain, not only retain the workers they have, but also attract more workers now and in the future and especially that next generation of workers so this was this was just incredible and like i said i'm so glad that the union and coda really got it right in this contract and um you know this could segue right into link us we can all work together to try to help you know not just columbus but the whole region and um you know i know that when they put on the ballot um uh, a uh, an increase uh, to help fund link us and help 
uh, grow the Coda transit system. I know that I'm going to be out front speaking in favor of it because it helps our economy, and I'm going to be urging our local unions and our members to get behind it as well. So this is just, like I said, it, it's, it's just amazing. Expanding public transportation in Central Ohio is part of a pro-worker, pro-resident, pro-business, and also pro-DEI agenda. And I'm glad Coda and the TWU Local 208 got this thing right. Covers all the bases. Yes, it does. You know, if you don't mind, while we're talking about transit, I know you're aware of this um, rail system, a high-speed rail system. I don't know how fast they're talking about, but uh, there's been uh, some news reports. This was a couple of months ago. It would connect Cleveland to Columbus to Cincinnati. I know there's a leg they're looking at from Cleveland to Chicago. What's, uh, What's the buzz in central Ohio about all this happening? The buzz in central Ohio, especially outside of Franklin County, like in the rural areas, I think is is huge. Um, You know, my wife grew up in eastern Ohio, very rural area. Um, She's a big Pittsburgh sports fan. We try not to hold that against her all the time. Sometimes that does Uh get in the way and cause some disagreements. But she's excited about the one line that talks about going from Pittsburgh, you know, through Muskingum County. Uh, stopping in Cambridge and Zanesville, and then coming to Columbus, heading northwest through Marysville, where we live, going all the way up into Lima, Fort Wayne, and then on to Chicago. So, you know, instead of having to drive 45 minutes, you know, wait in line at the airport for 30 minutes to an hour, check your bags, to take a 50-minute flight um, to uh, Chicago, you know, you could board a train in Marysville and hopefully be into Chicago in 90 minutes or, you know, no longer than two hours. And plus, I think what a lot of people don't realize, because, you know, we do have folks here that have migrated from the East Coast, and they're used to it because of Amtrak, but a lot of people don't realize, I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, I went to a Cavs game, and, you know, I, I left at like three thirty, four o'clock to get up there in time to get a bite to eat and make the tip at 7.30. How nice would it have been just to park my car in Columbus, get on the train, be able to do some work, return emails, whatever, on my laptop, and just rest and relax and let somebody else do that driving, you know, for that 60 to 90 minutes of how long it would take to get there by train and not have to worry about fighting a spark, you know, for parking, if the weather's bad or whatever. I, I just think it's a great thing. I wish we would have done this 10 or 15 years ago, but it seems like it's finally starting to come to fruition, and I know a lot of people in Central Ohio are really excited about it. And like you talked about and like we talked about with the CODA contract and public transit and helping take care of our infrastructure so we can continue to get our economy to grow, I think this ties into all of it as well. And they should not be competing. I think they should be working together. Yeah, this is part of a national plan, too. I remember talking recently with the uh, Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO, and uh, they're talking about like a link up on the West Coast between Los Angeles and Las Vegas. Oh, my God, that would be so darn popular once they get that going. That 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 is in the works. I, I know that. And, you know, we are so far behind when it comes to this. I mean, Europe, I mean, they're way ahead on trains. China has jumped on this with those 200-mile-an-hour trains. Japan has done the same, so it would be cool to see this happen in the United States. It would be very, very cool, as a matter of fact. You know what? I'm going to take a quick break here. Dorsey Hager joining us on our live line. Dorsey serving as Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. Lots more to talk about. We're going to get the latest on that expansion at the Columbus Airport. That's an issue that's really bothering a lot of labor leaders like Dorsey. We'll talk about that and more later in the show. We're going to check in with Fred Redman. It's our first Friday with Fred Fred Redmond, Secretary-Treasurer of the AFL-CIO. Back in a few. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. 
It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. Are you an experienced mechanical insulator looking to take your career to the next level? Insulators Local 50 in Central Ohio has steady work for a number of years. Insulators Local 50 offers a total wage and benefits package that can't be beat. It's not just the competitive wages. Local 50 also provides medical, vision, and dental insurance with no paycheck deductions for you and your family. Don't miss out on the chance to secure your future. Join us at Insulators Local 50. Earn great pay and the best benefits. Visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF50 to fill out the online form and a local 50 representative will call to begin the process. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. America. Feel the power right now at Lyuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up, receive our shows on a regular basis, and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings. So, Please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, where you can find more at ulagency.org. Let's go back to our live line rejoin. Dorsey Hager, Executive Secretary of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. And Dorsey, before we talk about the airport expansion, I want to thank you for throwing us some more new guests on America's workforce. We uh, recently had a conversation with uh, IBW Local uh, 683, about all the work they're doing because of the expansion of, uh, oh, my God, you got the Intel project, the expansion of Facebook, Google, Amazon, and also our, our sheet metal worker friends, Smart Local 24. Uh, feel free to throw us some more because we want to highlight all the good things that are happening in central Ohio. I, I know you, you can do that for me. Can't you do that for Flash here, buddy? I can. I can get more people on for you. It was great. I just re-listened to the Josh Williams interview this morning on my way in and um, hearing him talk about his career as a professional MMA fighter and now as a trainer and how he kind of got hooked up in the sheet metal workers and, and relating the competition that he had when he was training or fighting to competition on the job and um, and, and with other members and just doing as best as he can and learning the trade and, and helping everybody out and, and a true team spirit. I mean, Josh is solid. He's one of our good um, um, 
young uh, business agents and uh, so proud of the work that he and Jeff Hunley and Rodney French and the guys are doing over at Sheet Metal Workers Local 24, like everybody, to go out and get folks into our local unions to let them know about these opportunities and take care of these opportunities on these jobs that we talk about daily, the Googles and Facebooks and Amazons and DBT Data and Intel and Honda and OSU Medical Center and it's just it's amazing the opportunities we have and we're trying to make sure that we get out in the community and give everybody a chance to take advantage of these opportunities no matter what trade they're interested in dorsey speaking of intel i heard a story recently and might be delayed a little bit you got any information on that i think what they're doing is i think that their plans uh when they announced the groundbreaking in um i think it was september of 21 i know it was in 21 but when they or i'm sorry 22 when they announced the groundbreaking um i think that they had a very aggressive schedule i think they wanted to shoot for 30 months and they wanted to have close to 10,000 people on the project um you know there's a lot of work that needs to be done out there with roads and bridges widening roads expanding bridges also the heavy equipment that's coming in i know a lot of heavy equipment is coming up the ohio river uh, on barges uh, that's being let out in Cincinnati, and then on the weekends, uh, they're bringing that up on huge long-haul, heavy-duty tractor trailers up to the job site just east of Columbus and New Albany. So, uh, I mean, these guys know better than me. They've built ship plants all over the world, but I know that at the groundbreaking, and I know when I went to Portland and when I went to Phoenix, I thought the, I thought the schedule was a little aggressive. So let's say instead of 10,000 people over 30 months. Let's say it's maybe six to 7,000 people over 60 months. I mean, I'll be okay with that. I'll give you a good example. And I shared this with one of our members. I was with my wife at dinner the other night and she asked the same thing you did. And uh, she goes, how many hooks are out there right now? And I said about 900 trades people. And she's like, 900, that's it. And I'm like, well, compared to 10,000, that's not a lot, but it's still the third largest job going on in Central Ohio right now. you got to put it in perspective. She's like, yeah, I mm-hmm. guess you're right. So 900 people is a lot of people. I know that um, we met a couple weeks ago. I can't go too much into the details, but Bechtel's came out with a very aggressive manpower schedule. Uh, they're very interested in pre-apprenticeship, outreach, building futures. We've got some building futures grads out there already, uh, electricians and pipe fitters that they're very excited about, and they want to do more of that. Um, they also want to see what they can do. Um, to do more outreach in Licking County, uh, Muskingum County, Perry County, uh, to help a lot of those folks as well. So we're going to be uh, we're going to be partnering with Bechtel, and we're going to be working hard with Intel. And um, you know, I'd like to say the next me is going to be working with them to help build this project as well. But I would say it's probably a couple of me's down the road because I think they're going to be building a lot of fab and chip plants out there. And I would say the construction is going to go on for at least twenty five to thirty years. So we're excited about it. Well, you should be if it's going to go on that long. Wow. All right. Well, let's uh, let's switch gears here. And uh, I know this was really, really occupying a whole lot of your time. And it's very frustrating for you. It's frustrating for me, frustrating for a lot of the politicians and labor leaders in central Ohio. And we're talking about the uh, expansion and we're talking a two billion dollar expansion of the Columbus Airport. Last couple of shows, you kind of laid it out. Maybe you could summarize where we are right now with this uh, with this project. Yeah, I mean, we're still willing to come to the table and work towards an agreement. It's unfortunate that the CEO, Joe Nardone, has not been at the table or inserted himself in the last seven and a half months. He's the owner. 
He's the one that's going to own this project on behalf of the Columbus Regional Airport Authority. Uh, I've sent communications to every board member. The only board member uh, that has reached out and that has met with me is Kenny McDonald, CEO of the Downtown Partnership, and I think he knows how important this is. It's like I said to him, I said, Kenny, I said, we got to get this right. I said, we can't have an out-of-state contractor bringing out-of-state workers in to build this project and then using diversity as a uh, as a prop on, on why they're doing it you know I said there's a lot of people in the Central Ohio that are upset uh, NAACP Central Ohio Workers Center I said the building trades is not appreciative of the stance that CEO Joan Ardone has had I mean you know we have to read about the, the project in the paper you know when in very rural uh, you know red Republican counties like Licking County and Fayette County, months before the announcement is made, you know, the, the new um, president of Honda of America, you know, flies in on a Friday evening at the end of his work week to meet with me to discuss the battery project. And that's 48 miles from Columbus. That's how important it is to him. And, you know, our own CEO of our own regional airport here can't say, hey, we're going to build a $2 billion airport. It's going to take a lot of skilled uh, tradespeople. You know who provides a lot of skilled tradespeople in a diverse workforce of women and people of color and vets? The building trades. Maybe I should reach out to them. But that thought I don't think ever crossed his mind this summer, this fall, for this winter. So it's very disappointing not only that we do not have an agreement on there that guarantees everybody's going to make union wages, health care, and pension benefits, but it's also very disappointing that the CEO and a president of a major board that's appointed by all Democrats in this city and county uh, is, is either that aberrant or that ignorant to realize who he should be reaching out to in the community to help make sure that this project is done right. So is there a chance? I know you're, you're doing your best here and I would, I can only assume that especially a local media there in central Ohio has got to be uh, raising this issue and trying to, trying to get some indication that there's going to be a crack here. Maybe they'll bend a little bit, change their mind. Do you get any of that? Is any, is any of that possible here at this stage? I mean, we're hopeful, but again, it's CEO Joan Ardone, I think, that holds all the cards. You know, when we negotiated a PLA, um, like I said, with the uh, with the, the battery plant, when we negotiated a PLA with the chip plant, when we negotiated a PLA um, with the Franklin County Jail, you know, the Franklin County commissioners were at the table with that PLA. They didn't just say, oh, well, uh, you know, Gilbane's going to build this, talk to them. Intel didn't say, well, Bechtel's going to build this, talk to them. Honda didn't say, hey, Turner Yates Kokosin is going to build this, talk to them. They said, no, we want a local, skilled, and diverse workforce to build this on time, safely, and under budget. And you know who can do that? The building trades. That's who we want you to enter an agreement with, and that's who we want you to talk with. So I know the mayor is very frustrated. I know he's reached out to CEO Joe Nardone multiple times. I met with County Commissioner Kevin Boyce a couple of weeks ago, as did Mark Fluharty from the Central Labor Council, who's been kind of my partner in crime on this. And, um, and, and I know he's extremely frustrated. I know all the county commissioners are frustrated. They've sent letters to the board, and they've sent letters to the CEO, uh, President Council President Hart and pro tem Dorn's half outgoing Franklin County engineer uh, Cornell Robertson a Republican sent a letter in support of a CBA the whole uh, House and Senate Democratic caucus have sent in a letter in support of a PLA so um, 
And the media is all over at all three of the major uh, stations, 4, 6, and 10. The dispatch calls probably every other day for an update. I've done interviews with Columbus Business First, done interviews with national news media as well, the Washington Post and the, or the Washington uh, Post and the, uh, you know, and, um, and the Wall Street Journal. So we'll see what happens. It's, it's a big public work project. It's important. It's transformative. It's generational. And like I said, there's a lot of miscommunication out there that all these guys are just crying and screaming because they want every, every contractor to be a union. No, we want every person who works on that project to earn union wages, union health care, union pension so they can take part in this two billion dollar project and provide for themselves and their families and grow the middle class here in columbus and central Ohio. that's what we're looking for that's what we want that's what we want we should point out that the the contractor hired hensel phelps is an out-of-state contractor and they appear to be a member of abc associated builders and contractors which is a notorious anti-union organization so this has to be turned around. It has to be turned around. All right, let's 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 try to end here on a positive note. Building futures, you touched on this a little bit here, but uh, what's the latest? I know you just love talking about building futures here and driving oh. futures, but building futures, I, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, we talk about this all the time. There's days I drive in, I'm a little frustrated about the airport. Maybe there's something on a job site that, that happens. But at the end of the day, try to take a deep breath and just think of, of all the good that we're doing in the community and all the good that we're doing uh, for everybody who's had an opportunity to either join the building trades here recently because of the work or, or has been in the building trades and has had a really good uh, career. So building futures, we've got our two cohorts all scheduled, lined up um, so far for this year. The first two cohorts schedule's been made. Eli Wenzel, our program director at the building trade, has done a great job with that, working with Derek Foster, the program manager over at Creating Central Ohio Futures, and their CEO, Leland Bass. Um, we've got a uh, big open house at our new training center in March. I'll make sure I get the information to you, and we follow that up maybe on a future interview. But also, we, um, you know, I've got the schedule all laid out. We've got the class of 25. They actually started two weeks ago with their soft skills, financial literacy, uh, a lot of construction math and stuff. So we're all really, really excited. And we've had a lot of trades already reach out, you know, electricians, sheet metal workers, pipe fitters, insulators, cement masons, you know, a lot of them that are iron workers who are asking when this class is going to be ready to go so they can start placing these folks at a lot of these projects that we've been talking about. And hopefully the airport. We'll see. We'll see. But hopefully we'll see. <laughs> I know you're not going to give up on this one. No, no, no. It probably wakes you up at night. <laughs> oh, it's, it encompasses a lot of my time. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. All right, Dorsey, we're going to leave it there. Dorsey Hager, Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, columbusconstruction.org. Follow them on X, Build Central OH. You take care, my brother. We'll talk to you in a month, okay? <laughs> You two flash the three greatest words in sports, pitchers and catchers report. Actually, that's four words, isn't it? Pitchers and catchers report. Spring training has started. Opening day is right around the corner. I'm looking forward to it. So we can talk about that when we catch up here in a month, all right? There you go. You got it, buddy. Take care. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Fred Redman. It's our first Friday with Fred. Fred, Secretary Treasurer of the AFL-CIO, right after this. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. 
Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Are you looking for a new health care partner for your union members? Let Antha Blue Cross and Blue Shield be your champion, making sure your members live their healthiest lives now more than ever. It's important to have a partner you can trust, one who understands the unique challenges unions face. Anthem provides a variety of options to meet your organization's needs and helps you control costs without sacrificing quality of care. For more information, visit anthem.com slash labor and trust. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craftworkers. For more information, please visit bacweb.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go to uh, line number two and welcome back to the show. Started this segment with Fred Redmond. A couple of years ago, Fred, the current secretary treasurer of the AFL-CIO, we call it the first Friday with Fred. And, you know, yesterday, and we got an extra day out of Black History Month, yesterday was Leap Day, and today, March 1st, starts the beginning of Women's History Month. So we got Black History Month, Women's History Month. Fred made history, and so did the president of the AFL-CIO. Fred, the first African-American to become secretary treasurer of the Labor Federation, and then Liz Schuler the first woman to hold the presidency. So we're at the crossroads of history here. Fred, you're right in the middle of it. So thank you for, uh, for joining us. And before we get in, I want to I take a look back on when you started as a steelworker in Chicago back in 1973, which was a mm-hmm. much different time in America. Nixon was the president. Watergate didn't happen. Vietnam was still going on. But uh, you've been uh, crisscrossing the country during the month of uh, February, I mean, the last time we talked to you, you were in Los Angeles, and you did a lot of events right. for uh, for Black History. In your opinion, did you connect with a lot of people? I know these were union events, but how did that go for you, Fred? Well, first of all, thank you. Uh, thanks, Flash. I, uh, you know, 
boy, going back a long time to when I first started in 1973. Let me just comment on that for a minute. You know, I was 19 years old. I followed my father into the mill, aluminum mill, as a second-generation steel worker. It wasn't my first priority of what I wanted to do, but it turned out to be, you know, the greatest decision that I ever made, you know, in terms of, um, you know, how my life was shaped by that experience working in the mills at such a young age in 1973. But, uh, look, Black History Month, um, you know, this is a time when we celebrate the achievements, the contributions of uh uh, Afri- uh, African Americans in this country, and we also, you know, pause for a minute to really recognize, you know, how far, uh, you know, African Americans have came in this country, you know, being brought here uh, through their ancestors, you know, uh, during the period of channel slavery, and the advancements that have taken place. Uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, black Americans really integrating into a very important fabric of, uh, of of America. So, you know, Black History Month is a time for, for me, it's a period of reflection. You know, when I could reflect back to a period of time, uh, you know, I mean, black folks, you know, got the right to vote during my father's lifetime you know my grandparents did not have that right mm-hmm. and the struggle that it took to uh you know get the passage of the voting rights act uh my grandparents uh you know live during the uh you know civil rights movement i mean they were part of the whole jim crow system in the south um and then my father and mother they came from the South during that great migration from the South to the North, you know, in search of a better life for their children. And, uh, you know, they suffered under, uh, you know, just outright race discrimination in Chicago. Um, you know, my, my father, uh, you know, had a tough time really finding a job to support his family. Um, you know, a lot of, places did not, you know, really hire uh, African-Americans during that period of time. Uh, you know, he was excluded from going into the building trades, but he he persevered. He stayed focused, and he wound up with a union job, and it changed my life and changed my family's life. So for me, Black History of Mine causes me to reflect upon all of that on my own personal journey and the journey of my parents and my grandparents, but also to, you know, really, really pay attention to the contributions that black people have made in order to make this uh, a great country. And you didn't uh, waste any time getting involved in the union. I was reading your bio, his bios, Mm -hmm. uh, Fred Redmond's bios on the AFL-CIO website, aflcio.org. And it seems like you had that activist blood in you right away because <laughs> you you, well, you really yeah. rose up the ranks. Well, you know, I went into the mill. I was uh, 19 years old. I was, you know, really 
involved in the black nationalist movement at the time. And, you know, it was a period of time where, uh, you know, I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to, you know, be an advocate for change. And, you know, I really flash got involved in the union from a dare from my father. You know, I felt as though, um, my shop steward wasn't doing his job. I had a complaint. I don't think he handled it properly. My father was the chairman of our grievance committee. You know, I mean, all grievances and complaints went through him. And I went to my father with a complaint about this particular shop steward, and my father told me, I support him. You know, I support him because he's involved, you know. And if uh-huh. you don't like the job he's doing, you need to come to Union Means Qualifying and run against them. And that's what I did, you know. I did it on the dare. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot from my father. My father died in 1986 at the age of 53. Uh, But, you know, I've learned so much from him in terms of, you know, how to stand up to the boss and, you know, how to really advocate for my fellow coworkers. And, and, And I've been privileged, you know. Coming up through the local, I've learned a lot from my father and, of the union officials back at that time. And I'm talking about folks flash who didn't have college degrees, you know. Um, many of them didn't have high school diplomas, but they had a commitment. Mm-hmm. They had a commitment to their coworkers, and um, I was taught by the best. When you worked at Reynolds Metals in Chicago, again, we're going back mm-hmm. to the early 70s, how, yeah. how, how was that? And what I want to talk about is how were you treated? as an African-American. Again, that's a different time in America. We just went through the civil rights struggles the decade before. But what about Fred Redmond? How did, how did, how did it work out for you? Well, you know, when I went to the mill, um, there was a movement in progress in 1973, a bunch of black, a bunch of black steel workers. They formed a black caucus. They called themselves the ad hoc committee. And my father was part of that. And I, Came into the mill in 1973 when a serious discussion was going on uh, between black members and the Steelworkers National Union. I mean, blacks was advocating for more staff positions on the uh, and, and and for more uh, leadership positions, you know, from the National Union. And um, you know, in 1976, you know. At the show that I came into the mill, you know, the steelworkers elected its first black board member, a gentleman by the name of Leon Lynch, who was our uh, vice president of human affairs. 30 years later, 1996, I, I, I replaced Leon and, you, you know, uh, over, you know, once he retired. But I came into a time when, you know, unions were not that uh, open to blacks being in leadership positions of the union. And, you know, some blacks were content with that because, you know, they got the benefits of the collective bargain agreement, but it took a group of workers like my father who said, look, we, des- we, we deserve a seat at the table. We should be part of the decision-making apparatus. So it was a time when there were, problems within the union, the national union and, and his black members. And also, you know, there was a, there was a time when, 
the company took advantage of that, and the unions really had to, you know, fight on behalf of black workers. And, you know, black workers really got involved over that period of time in the local unions because, you know, uh, there was cases when some black workers was being denied promotional opportunities and advancements, you know, within the shops and the mills. And uh, it took the activism of black workers to really push the union to stand up and do the right thing on behalf of his black members. And they did. And they mm-hmm. did. But uh, there was a lot of struggle. As black workers, we fought the national union, and we also fought the companies. But it was some great activists, you know, within those local unions who felt as though, you know, the union was their best shot at participating in the so-called middle class and, uh, you know, they felt so strong about the union movement that they, you know, fought to be able to participate and to be able to be in a leadership position and force the union to uh, fight for advancements within the companies. Well, you, if you want change, you got to change from within. And obviously that was the, the MO back then. And yeah. you fast forward, you fast forward to today. And I look, mm-hmm. it was in uh, 2006 when you oversaw the Civil and Human Rights Department and worked with the steelworker allies across the country in responding to attacks on voting rights and combating economic inequality. So, you you know, w- with what you started back in the early 70s, it just accelerated. And, and obviously, and, and look at the, <laughs> Fred, this is a great story because look at the steelworkers today. Because right. of that right. struggle, I mean, it's probably one of the most diverse unions in in yeah. in, in in the country, don't you think? No, it, absolutely. I mean, you know, it was the union that uh, really forced the company in 1976 through the Black Caucus, the Ad Hoc Committee. They sued 17 steel companies and and the International Union, you know, for promotional opportunities in the mill. And in 1976, they was forced by the courts to sign a consent decree. And what that consent decree did was force the steel industry, the steel companies, to bid promotional opportunities on the basis of plant seniority. I mean, you know, I came into the mill at a time where, you know, you had black jobs, you had white jobs. And needless to say, the most dangerous jobs, the most dirtiest jobs went to the black workers. And the, uh, you know, the highest paid jobs and the more skilled jobs went to the white workers. And, uh, you know, I came in at the precipice of that. And, uh, you know, it took a group of courageous individuals to stand up to the companies and the union. And because of their sacrifice and because of their voice, and I could call out the names of so many people who showed us upon our stand, but because of their voice, you know, we was able to, really, really changed the structure of the union. When you're talking about bidding, using your seniority for promotional opportunities as opposed to favoritism, and when it came to access to higher-paying jobs within the mill, and when it came to the opportunity to, uh, you know, advance within the union, uh, there's so many people who I'm indebted to, you know, who really, really fought that good fight. And, uh, you know, it's been a privilege of our life to try to repay those individuals upon whose shoulders I stand by being an advocate and a force for 
other people who have been marginalized and have been disrespected in their communities and in the workplace. We should point out, too, it was uh, four years ago, it was in 2020, that Fred was tapped to chair the AFL-CIO Task Force on Racial Justice. So he's got a lot of fight in him. And then, of course, it was shortly after that that, uh, well, he left the steelworkers and became the secretary-treasurer, the number two position to the AFL-CIO, and he sits next to Liz Shula, the first woman in the AFL-CIO. Fred, Fred, did you ever think... (laughs) I mean, when you were when you were what nineteen years old yeah, back in the seventies yeah. that you would be in the position that you are today. Well, you know, I I, I think back. My father died at early age of fifty three. Died in nineteen eighty six, and I never forget. Uh, my father lived long enough to see me uh, go on staff with the steelworkers as a casual organizer. And uh, when I became president of my local union in 1988, I became local union president. I know one of my father's uh, close friends, you know, he told me, he said, your father will be proud of you. He said, he either thought you was going to wind up in jail or somewhere stuck on the night shift. So I think I surpassed the odds, <laughs> okay? And, you know, look, it's all about a commitment. It's all about the love for this movement for this labor movement. I never thought that, you know, they tell me that I am the highest ranking African-American in the history of the labor movement. And I've never, never thought that uh, I would reach, you know, that level within this movement that I love so much. And, you know, the, the advice that I give younger workers, younger union officials is, Crash, I never applied for a job in the union. I never applied to go on staff I never advocated to be a head of the Steelworkers Education Department. I never advocated or lobbied to be vice president of the Steelworkers Union. I never uh, uh, applied to be assistant to one of the Steelworkers' largest uh, districts. I never, uh, you know, I never applied to be secretary treasurer of the FLCL. I just put in the work. I just uh-huh. put in the work, and I'm a strong believer that if you're committed, if you work hard, is that your work will speak for you, and there's room in this movement for everybody. Well, I'm sure you inspired a lot of people just by this conversation today. There, there's something special about you, Fred, and that's why we love talking to you. So God bless well, you, you, your family, and, uh, and obviously all the people in the AFL-CIO. We're talking about a powerful organization of over 12 million brothers and sisters in America, all working hard for a better life. Fred, you take care. We'll talk to you next month, brother. Well, thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate everything you do, Flash, and keep being the voice for working people. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up on Monday, the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers and the United Steelworkers. Until then... All of you have a safe and wonderful weekend. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.